one of great life's guarantees is suffering. And how you respond and answer to personal suffering and observed suffering is one of the most important matters that you will face in your life. There will be suffering today that is caused from storms hitting the Bay Area and especially the Tahoe area. There will be suffering and there has been suffering from the Warriors lost this past week and people related to the team with the loss of Dehan, Coach Dehan. There is tragic loss and suffering right now in the Middle East. It's suffering that's touched our children and youth ministries as one of our past Camtoons kids passed away late last year and Pastor Gable just did the funeral after a lifetime of illness in his life. Came across a story of a young woman who has suffered. She was traveling back home uh, with her family from a Christian retreat and on the way home, her family was in a car accident. Her family members were amazingly spared, but she ended up breaking her collarbone and breaking all the bones on the left side of her face. And sadly, that was only the beginning of decades of suffering because that ended up damaging her nerves, which ended up causing unending pain and surgeries that only increased the pain, unfortunately. And she ended up spending tens of thousands of dollars only to sometimes increase her pain after doctors guaranteed that these would help her. And she went through this cycle for much of her young adult life. As a follower of Jesus, she wasn't living in overt sin that she needed to confess, but this suffering continued for years and years, leaving her deeply confused. That's why so many people turn to the book of Job, because suffering is an experience that touches every single one of us in different times, in different ways, but it will touch every single one of us. I spoke with a member of our church this last week, and he said Job was his favorite book. Christians often turn to this book because it helps us through those seasons. Even non-Christians turn to the book of Job. As I was reading uh, to prepare for this series, I came across an article on Slate.com in 2022, so very recent, where a Jewish agnostic individual was beginning to wrestle with questions of life and the world, and he wanted to see if God had anything to offer. And so he started going back to synagogue and reading the Bible, and he came to the book of Job. And he was deeply drawn to this book. What drew him to this book was the fact that Job spoke so honestly about how life actually is, how awful life can actually be. I don't agree with the author's conclusion. He concludes God really doesn't care. But we share the same draw to this book. Virginia Woolf, an English writer and critic of Christianity, she was drawn to the book of Job. But her conclusion was, I read the book of Job last night. And I don't think God comes out well in it. That's how many people may end up feeling if you read this book. Maybe you've had a traumatic experience in your life. And today, as I bring up suffering, it's bringing to mind and feelings and emotions of those past experiences. Maybe as we address suffering, you are literally walking through that season of in the valley right now. And it's a, a struggle whether we are reflecting on the past or the present, we will all be touched by suffering, which is why we are going to look at the book of Job. Today, we're going to do an intro to the book, kind of look at some framework to help us navigate the book, uh, to help us get some high-level tools and understanding, uh, especially in a book that we may not be as familiar with, 
a book that is rich in Hebrew poetry that makes it kind of hard for modern readers to read. And to kind of introduce this book, I want to ask and answer three questions. What, uh, a why question first. Second, a what question. And last, a who question. Why, what, and who. Why the book of Job first? I think it's a very important question to ask. And I kind of alluded a little bit to it, that it touches all of us suffering. And so it's important that we look at the one book that dedicates its entire time to answering this question. I think also because I want us as followers of Jesus here, or maybe you're trying to explore who Jesus really is and what it's all about. And you've experienced some negative things about Christians. And I think actually one of the reasons is many of us who are following Jesus haven't deepened ourselves. And one of the ways we deepen ourselves in our faith, in our following of Jesus, in our discipleship, is to wrestle with this deep question that touches every single person on earth. Looking at the book of Job will help us grow and strengthen our faith. I told someone this past week that I was teaching on Job, and that person's response was, oh, don't you want to talk about something more inspiring? <laughs> and I realized that is a default expectation of church today, that we come to church to get a little pep, to get a little inspiration, something to kind of give you a little bit to make yourself through the next week. And I think there is a place for inspiration, a place for pep. It's not that the Christian life is only full of sorrow, as we're looking at the book of Job, but it does include sorrow. And so I think one of the reasons that we don't necessarily have depth or strength to our faith is because we've taken a diet full of inspiration, but maybe not enough wrestling with difficult questions. Because inspiration isn't enough to sustain our following of Jesus. I want you to be strong in your faith, to have an ability to wrestle with difficult questions, to ask and sit with the question of suffering. Now, let me say that as we're looking at the book of Job, maybe you're like me, um, I have this little bit of a superstition uh, for myself. This is not biblical. This is not spiritual. This is just my weird feeling. So I just be honest about this. But if you're like me, sometimes when you read a book of the Bible, you think it's going to happen to you. <laughs> and so looking at the book of Job does not mean we as a church will now go through the worst suffering we will ever have in our life. No more than reading the book of Song of Solomon will mean you have the greatest honeymoon experience of your entire life. Reading those books doesn't automatically cause those things to happen. I don't think Job deals comprehensively. That's something we have to think about uh, with suffering, though, either. As we think about suffering, there's various kinds of perspectives about suffering that Job actually doesn't deal with all of them. Throughout the Bible, you see that we have this picture of suffering that is actually a response to our sin in our life. That's the kind of suffering we experience. That's the one I think we experience the most. There is suffering that is caused when we reject the way that God has called for us to live in this world and we will incur suffering in our life. That's the kind of suffering here. In fact, that's the main thing that his friends, we will see, accuse Job of, even though Job believes he's innocent. There's a kind of suffering that occurs that many of our cross-cultural workers that we've sent out in partner organizations experience where you will suffer for the sake of Jesus because you profess this gospel, you may incur suffering. That's a kind of suffering that the Bible addresses. Sometimes suffering comes into our life because it's God's means by helping us grow in our faith. That's a kind of suffering that Paul addresses in Romans or 
uh, James addresses in chapter 1 of his letter. But what's unique about Job, and I think why Job can help us strengthen ourselves, is it deals with the one I think we struggle with the most, innocent suffering. A kind of suffering that isn't a result of sin, that isn't to even help us grow in our faith. There's no point for it, at least so obvious to us. It just happens. There's no cause from our own actions. It just happens, and it remains a mystery. How are we to answer innocent suffering? Innocent suffering is the hardest to deal with, not only because of the philosophical answer to it is often wrestling and difficult, but often because if you are asking that question and you truly have you have no unconfessed sin and no reason why God would actually respond in that way, it causes deep emotional pain, as we will see Job wrestle with for chapters and chapters. Job is a book that deals uniquely with innocent suffering, and I think as we wrestle with that question, both intellectually and emotionally, we will strengthen our faith in our life. Second, why Job, not only because it strengthens our faith, but as I mentioned in the quote, I think we should look at Job because it is a uniquely honest book. Christians, I think, tend to have a very surfacey faith today. That's why when I told someone I was preaching on the book of Job, their immediate reaction was, oh, don't you want to talk about something more inspiring? Because we tend to live at that level. And because it's easier to live at that level, it's something we desire. I'm not going to run automatically to this topic. I'm excited to, to wrestle with something that's so difficult. But we, because we have a surface faith, we often have then surface answers to questions like, why does God allow evil? Why do wicked people who are doing tangible wicked things prosper financially? Why do their businesses grow? Why does their power grow in their leadership? And these are hard questions that do not have easy answers. But Job is a very honest person. He asks questions out loud that often we don't want to ask out loud. We settle then, if we don't have a deep faith, for kind of surface and trite idioms. I asked on my Instagram, uh, just random people who follow me, uh, to respond, what's the worst thing you can say to people who are suffering? And I got answers like this, and this is why I think we need the book of Job, because we have a very surface answer or very immature answers. Often when people are suffering, they've heard stuff like, and they quote the Bible truthfully, but in the wrong timing, God won't give you more than you can handle. Truth, and yet given in the wrong way, can be incredibly harmful and painful. Or people will say to people who are in suffering, you know, if you think about others in the world, it's not that bad. Or even just to bluntly say, others have had it worse. Or just get over it. At least it's not blank. Everything happens for a reason. Calm down. And my favorite terrible one, time heals all wounds. Time does nothing, right? It just happens. It's what happens in time that can hurt or actually heal wounds. We say stuff like that, which reveals we're not honest. We're not wrestling. Job isn't afraid to ask tough questions, though. Look what he says. One example, Job 21, 7 to 10. Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail, their cows, calves, and does not miscarry. They, they experience such prosperity. 
We ask this question out loud and wrestles with it. Job is honest. He asks questions and wants to wrestle with things that we are afraid to. Job doesn't just give us truth, though, like a professor. He is actually one who suffers. This is a book about suffering written by someone who actually suffers. He asks his friends. He's very honest. Maybe you've asked this question before. Why are my friends so stupid? <laughs> Maybe you never said that out loud, but Job actually says, you can say this out loud. Look what he says. Job 16. Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Terrible friends. Sometimes our friends are terrible and they say terrible things. Much more sobering, he asks the question, which we often are afraid to ask. In Job 30, he says, I cried to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me, which may be actually even more painful that he actually knows that God is there, but he refuses to answer him. Many of us experience that kind of distance from God where he doesn't seem there at all. But those of us who've experienced difficulties in friendships or in marriage or a relationship with our children, where you can be in the same space, but there's no relationship, that actually hurts even more at times. And God is present. He knows he's there, but he has no answer for him. He's pleading. He's in pain. And God just doesn't answer. You ever feel like that? Gone through that? Job wrestles honestly, not in a classroom, but through experience and conversations. And that's how we grow. In fact, I think I'm going to encourage you throughout this series that this, this wrestling cannot exist with a mere monologue where I'm talking to you. This has to exist in your community, with your friendships, with your community groups. You have to wrestle with these things through conversations, through vulnerability to bring up the things that you are experiencing. As we look to deepen our faith, I pray that we will be able to wrestle honestly with hard things in this life. That's the why. Second, what? What do we need to know about Job to help us read this book? Because much of it is very difficult to read, actually. If you've tried to read through the Bible in a year, not only is Leviticus one of the most difficult books to get to the third book, you get there, you're like, this is really difficult. You get to the book of Job or any of the other prophetic or poetic books, it's written in language that we are not familiar with. Many of us don't read poetry on a regular basis, let alone ancient Hebrew poetry. And so learning how to navigate that is challenging for us. What do we need to know about this book? Uh, before ever getting into a book, I encourage you, uh, get a good study Bible at the very least. And if you don't have one, all those tools are just online for free in so many places now. Get a, get, read over some of the overall themes, the theology, the framework, the structure of the book. Gain some perspective. Let me give you some things to help us, though, in this time. First, it may be very obvious and kind of redundant to say this, Job is a very long book. It's very long. It's, it's 42 chapters. It, it takes me, and I read fairly quickly, and I'm not trying to read it and stop and answer all the questions. It took me this past week. I read it three times from beginning to end. It takes me between two to three hours to read it in one sitting. It's a long book. Job is really long, 42 chapters long. And some of you are thinking the way that we go through books of the Bible, oh my gosh, we are going to be in Job forever. <laughs> It's going to be so long and so... No, it's long. And we're probably going to be in the book. I say probably because I originally broke it down and I'm like, we'll see. Uh, probably 13, 15 weeks. So not so long, hopefully, that you're like, oh my goodness. But not so quickly that we miss 
some of the pain that actually it's supposed to cause us as we wrestle through difficult books. So not so completely lost in the weeds, but not so fast that we miss it. I believe actually the length is part of the lesson. Because if you are asking difficult questions about suffering, about God, his justice, and why he doesn't answer, you're not going to be able to respond to that in a very quick, simple answer. It won't fit in 140 characters. It won't fit in a reel. Because we live in such a soundbite culture, we, we tend to get used to simple, quick answers. We don't even want whole quotations anymore. We just want snippets. So we can kind of put it on a picture of a mountain and put it in my office and say, there you go. That's the answer to suffering. We want the too long, didn't read version for most things. But God, in answering the question of suffering, gives us a very long book. A long book to read, a long book to struggle with, a long book to sit with. Anything less, I think, would be superficial in surface because there are no quick fixes to suffering and difficulty. God gives us a journey. God gives us a story to walk with. It's like trying to enjoy your favorite city. It's hard for me to boil down a favorite city in my life. I've, I've been to a lot of cities which I've really enjoyed those cities, but imagine you going to London and trying to enjoy it on an eight-hour layover. I mean, you get a snippet of it, but imagine if you had a month there you begin to enjoy the city in a different way. Or imagine your favorite TV series. Sometimes those TV series has five seasons. Sometimes they have 10 seasons. Imagine trying to just watch the five-minute summary of your favorite TV show. You may get a sense of what it's about, but you won't be able to experience or wrestle with all the things that that long story tried to communicate. And I think Job is long because wrestling with suffering takes us on a journey, a story. Second, what do we need to know about this book? We need to know something about its structure. Even though it's a long book, I think in some ways the narrative part of this story is kind of short. It goes something like this. There's an incredibly wealthy man of faith who tragically loses everything. And what he doesn't know is that this in some ways is related to a heavenly court scene where God is challenged by the Satan and he's questioning whether or not this person Job actually follows God because of his stuff or does he really follow God because of God? Job doesn't get a picture of this. His friends try and wrestle with this and console him and explain it. He's thinking that it's connected to, or his friends think that it's connected to some wrongdoing. Job keeps thinking, well, I've tried to wrestle with all the painful things in my life. I don't have anything I need to confess. He disagrees and they kind of have this cycle of conversations again and again. They, they talk and they cycle. They talk and they cycle again and again and again. Eventually, God shows up after many cycles of wrestling and God puts all of them, every single one of them in their place. And Job is restored at the very end. That's, that's kind of the summary of the whole book. Job could be read like a play, Acts 1, it is the first few chapters introducing us to who he is and he, how he goes from prosperity to suffering, how he loses everything. And then in Act 2, the longest part of this book is that conversation I just mentioned. They go back and forth, back and forth. In Act 3, God shows up. He, he doesn't really answer, answer them. He just talks about his perspective and then 
he's restored. That's important to grasp because what makes this book difficult is the fact that 95% of it is in that middle section written in poetry. That's something we need to grasp about this book. The beginning and end are written in prose, but 95% of the book is written in Hebrew poetry, where it uses imagery and symbolism and parallelism, things that we, we are not used to reading or writing in. And it hits us differently. I think, actually, poetry is appropriate for the question of suffering because it's not immediately addressed through intellectual truths alone. When you are suffering, what you need is something that touches the whole person, that touches your heart, and that's what poetry can do. It's not so easily summarized, though. It's not so easily explained, and so it makes a modern reader have to wrestle with. And so my encouragement to you is to find some time to read the book of Job slowly and intentionally. That's one of the practices I always do when I get to a new book of the Bible that I'm going to be teaching on or reflecting on is sit down and read it from beginning to end without trying to get stuck with too many things at one time, but at least try to experience the entirety of the book from beginning to end. Try to experience the wrestling that occurs in those conversations between Job and his friends. Another thing to know about this book is it's part of the scriptures and a section called wisdom literature with Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And wisdom literature's goal is to tell us how to live a right life how to live a good life in light of how God has organized this world, in light of who God is and creation and other people. And, and these three books actually have to be kind of considered together because they are as a package trying to wrestle with this question from different perspectives. And you cannot just strip one without the other. See, you can see Proverbs is kind of written for the, the young person who just needs to kind of get a grasp of the foundational things, elementary principles about wisdom, how the world normally works in light of who God is and people and creation. In that book, you learn fundamental principles. Actually, this principle of good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That's generally how the world works. It's how the world works when we expect it to. And then Ecclesiastes is read in tension to that. Because it pushes the boundaries. What if someone tries to live a good life without God and then you realize it's all meaningless? And then this book, Job, puts all that good working intention as well because even though it generally works out in these fundamental principles of Proverbs, there are circumstances to which those principles do not apply. And how do you wrestle with that? Job tests the normal working world. Not everything fits so neatly into categories something else that helps us wrestle with this. So if you're reading the book of Job, notice that it's giving us unique wrestling with unique questions, but it's not trying to give fundamental wisdom about the world because the book of Proverbs did that. And so we read, we read the book of Proverbs, we read the book of Job intention. Last, who is Job? And we're going to look at the first five verses again. Look with me at verse one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away evil or turned away from evil. No scholar actually can identify the exact location of Uz, other than it's in the east. And we do know this is not Israel. 
Actually, his name, Job, doesn't really help us much either. We don't have a genealogy. We don't have historical context. It's not starting with, this happens in the year of this king in this place. We don't have any of those historical details. What's also interesting is, as you read the book of Job, there is no reference to Israel as a nation. There is no reference to the law, the prophets, the exodus occurrence. There's no reference to captivity. So it's very possible that Job is the oldest book in the Bible the oldest book in the Old Testament. It's possible he's a contemporary to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. A contemporary, just kind of loosely saying that. But this means that this is an individual who's not in Israel, with no reference to Israelite tradition, but he trusted the living God. He worshipped God in a fully faithful manner. The fact that we don't know anything about him from his genealogy means, actually, I think we can all all of humanity, as we read the book of Job, relate to him. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter what language you speak. He speaks to all humanity regarding suffering. I think that's why it's actually intentional that we don't have any of those historical details because it causes us to, to identify ourselves with Job and also it causes us to wrestle with these questions rather than facing with all the historical questions that we normally ask. We're told that Job is a person of moral character. He's blameless and upright. He fears God. He turns away from evil. He's fully above reproach. He's fully honest. He's a man you can look at with integrity. He treats others kindly. Now, this doesn't mean he's sinless, but he's fully authentic. He's genuine in his character. What you can say about him is this. When you look at him, when you see him, when you think about who Job is, what you see is what you get. That's the kind of person Job is. Don't you love those kinds of people? That the person you see, the person you're interacting with, they are the same consistently every single place. They're not giving you a front when you're hanging out with them in public and there's someone completely different in private. They're completely the same person. He's the complete opposite of a hypocrite. You know those kinds of people who are the same inside, outside, they're the same with you and with other people? I love those kinds of people. What you see is what you get. That's the kind of person Job is. He's presented as a genuine follower of the living God. And it's really the highlight. The reason that the author goes out of his way to, to explain his character is because it's going to highlight this tension and wrestling with the fact that innocent people can suffer. That a person fully worshiping the Lord genuinely can actually have terrible things happen to him. Because that's not what we expect in a normal, good-working world. Regardless of the season and situation that Job finds himself, he's the same genuine person. That's the kind of person you want to be around. This probably explains why he's so wealthy, because he's someone who would get a lot of business then, because what you see is what you get, and people wanted to deal with him. I discovered in the last couple of weeks a leak in my house. Oh, terrible, right? So those of you who experience this, and if you live in San Francisco long enough, you will discover a leak in your house, somewhere in your house. It's going from my roof somewhere, I think, to my crawl space. Luckily, it's not inside my living space yet. But if you try to ever find someone to work on your house in any place in the world, one of the things that we're always going to be questioning is, are they actually giving me a price that's honest and real? Or are they trying to get money out of me? 
And if it's too cheap, you're wondering, what are they not doing, <laughs> right? So when you're trying to ask people to work on your home, whether it's a roof leak or a plumber or electrician, you have that question in your mind. Is it really? And actually, my general assumption is what I see is what I don't get, actually. But Job is someone who is what you see is what you get. He's completely blameless, upright. He genuinely fears God and turns away from evil. Which explains probably why he's so wealthy, too. Because in a normal, good working world, if you are fully upright before the Lord, you will be blessed. Look what it says. Chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. And there were, were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Amazing blessing of children in his family. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go out and hold a feast in the house of each one of his day. So they're so wealthy, uh, this kind of implies that he's able to purchase a home for every single one of his children. And they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So every single time they had a birthday, there's 10 kids. So at least 10 times in the year, they're having incredible feasts. They are a wealthy family. Now, important to say this, that the scriptures do not paint, Job does not paint his prosperity as something bad. I think our assumptions jump to the conclusion sometimes that because he has it so good, that means bad things should happen to him. No, I, I think our cynicism should be left aside. The Bible doesn't condemn prosperous people. Regularly, it warns us against worshiping our material things and creation. But Job, as we see, doesn't love his wealth. He loves the Lord. And he experiences incredible blessing in his life. He has kids. He has pro property. He has all this land. He's able to hu throw huge parties every single time they have a birthday. It represents a good working world, blessing. And it's all set up as a calm before this incredible storm, which we will begin next week. Because he loses everything. His experience is extreme, very extreme. He has extreme wealth. He has extreme loss. And I think actually, even though that extremity is something we don't experience in the same time frame, it's very uncommon for humanity to experience that kind of extreme loss in a short period of time. But I think we can all relate to Job because he loses everything in the same way that every single one of us will lose everything in our life because we will all lose those same things in our life. Maybe not in the same short time period, but through the entirety of our life, we will all experience the same loss. We will all lose our health, every single one of us. I've been trying to run more marathons, and the more I do that, I realize my body is not getting better <laughs> with age. We will all, sadly, lose all of our family unless Jesus returns. Every single one of us will lose every single person we ever love. We will. We will all lose our wealth. Every single one of us will lose a moment where we can fully enjoy and take advantage and use our wealth. We will all lose every bit of it. Job causes us to see how fragile life is and ask tough questions because he actually loses everything in the same way we will all lose everything in our life. He just loses it in such an extreme case. And from that extremity, we can begin to learn and experience the difficulty of wrestling with those questions. Another thing we need to know about Job is he still needed sacrifice. For all that he is in his character and his blessing in his life, look at this. This happens even before the calamities that occur in verses 6 to the end of 
chapter 2, but look what it says in verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So each time his children were able to celebrate with an incredible feast for their birthdays, he would gather early in the morning. He would take 10 animals, full animals, and offer them completely by burning them up for all his children because he's anxious and he's still concerned that they would reject God. First of all, that's kind of amazing to me. In some ways, to derive this kind of intercessionary love for your family. I read this and I was like, do I have this kind of concern for my children? This is incredible. First of all, this is a model of faithfulness and zeal. I think this deeply convicted me this past week because majority of my concern for my children is primarily for things that are of this earth. I'm deeply concerned for their education. I'm deeply concerned for their health and their circumstance, right? And so one thing I noticed, we just recently went back to visit family in Taiwan. And I haven't been since 2013. And actually, that was just a quick trip anyways, because we had a death in the family. But really, I haven't wandered Taiwan since 2010. It's a long time. But I realized now having kids there, I was like, man, one thing I really appreciate about Taiwan is I feel like my kids could just wander. And I don't have to really worry about them. Like, it's just safe, which is amazing to me. But I am with my kids in San Francisco. I'm worried. <laughs> I'm deeply worried about them. I, I have that, in, that kind of risen awareness and heightened kind of situational awareness when I'm here versus when I was in Taiwan. The only thing I'm really worried about in Taiwan is them walking to the middle of the street because they're kind of too safe and they're just like not looking at traffic. But I'm deeply concerned about their safety and I'm deeply concerned about their education and their future. I'm deeply concerned about all kinds of things. Me and my wife are now realizing we should be deeply concerned about having the talk with Malia. And we're starting to learn how to have those talks with Malia. We're, we're concerned about those things. But how regularly, when's the last time I woke up and as I spend time with the Lord, I deeply worried about their rejection of God to the point that it drives me in sacrifice Friends, do we pray for our children? Do we pray for our parents? Do we pray for our siblings? In such a way, we're deeply concerned about eternal matters, concerned about their eternity, their spiritual life. That's one thing I learned immediately when I saw this from Joe, but this also reveals not only, I think, a model of something I think is positive to challenge us, but also that Job, for all his blessing in his life, for all his moral uprightness, he still understands that for all of that, he still needs sacrifice. He still needs sacrifice. That on his own, that on his children's own, they are not right with God. That they need sacrifice. And every single time, you can imagine, as he burns on each one of their birthdays, 10 full animals, the sacrifice is like, as his children knew about this, they would say, that animal was for me in my place. He's worried that they would live in such a way because this is, Job understands this. When life is good, that's when you are tempted to wander from God. And so every single time they had a feast and celebration, he would do this. He understood the need for sacrifice. And even here, we see this shadow of Jesus. 
this very shadow. See, here we have a guy who's presented as morally upright. We know he's not sinless, but the shadow of Jesus, because we eventually have a completely sinless man. For even though he was perfect and had everything in the heavens, perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit, he came and gave it up as sacrifice to intercede for the children of this world. Jesus never cursed, perfectly obedient, and he gave himself as a final sacrifice. He rose, defeating sin and death for us, and right now is interceding for us. We have a shadow. Job understood he needed sacrifice. My prayer is that we go through Job strengthening our faith, learning to wrestle with hard questions, to not stay at a surface level when it comes to the, one of the most important questions that humanity ever asks and that we begin to learn how to wrestle with these things for ourselves. We learn how to be with people in those deep valleys, not only in our church, but in this city, in this world that walks through deep valleys. Last two considerations, some encouragements to you, kind of bring this together. And they kind of center around this concept of being slow to speak and quick to listen. Would you, as we're going through this book, commit yourself or strive to be slow to speak and quick to listen with other people? As we're going through this, you're probably going to have greater awareness or sensitivity to people who are going through difficult times in your life. And honestly, Christians say sometimes the most unhelpful things to people who suffer. So my ask of you is, as you're deepening this awareness of suffering around you, God may call you to actually be with someone who's walking through values uh, or valleys. And would you be slow to speak and quick to listen? Don't just throw out and vomit words at them, right? And I actually, I'm, I'm saying this to myself before I say this to any of you, because I'm that person who is someone's trying to share their suffering with me. They get out two words and I already got three answers for them, right? I, here's the three things you need to do. And I need to not talk. I need to listen. I need to sit with someone. I pray we become a church that is quick to listen. Listen. Slow to speak. Would you be quick to listen and slow to speak with the people that God brings to you in your life as you're wrestling with suffering and learning how to be with them? Sometimes it will just take saying nothing and just being with someone in the pain. In fact, that's the only thing I think Job's friends actually do well, and they only do it at the beginning. They have no answers, and they just sit with him. That's the most godly thing at times. It's the only good thing that his friends did. Then they got bored of it, which most of us get bored of it, and they start trying to correct him, which we often try and do. We realize, actually, many of the things that his friends say, which we read and we realize those are things we should not say, these are things that Christians say all the time. So we should be slow, slow to speak and quick to listen. Not only slow to speak and quick to listen with other people, honestly, I think we need to learn to be slow to speak and quick to listen with God. Read this book. If you want to wrestle with this, you want to strengthen and deepen, don't just rely on me walking through this book and the pastors walking through this book on Sundays. Sit down and read the book. Let it touch you. Let it prod you. Let it cause questions to be asked. And as you get there, sit with it. Wrestle with it. 
be open to the fact that God wants you to sit with some of these painful things. Not just listening on Sundays, but listen to the Lord as you open this book up for yourself. Be slow to speak and quick to listen with God. Let's pray as we close today and begin this journey together. And maybe we just practice that in this moment of just listening to the Lord, allowing the Spirit to speak for a moment. Father, we cling to the promise that you will never leave us, never forsake us. We cling to promises that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet we know that those promises and those truths often sometimes feel like distant realities in the valleys that some of us experience. Lord, your Holy Spirit be present the great comforter will be present to comfort those who are in the midst of suffering. Father, would you teach us as a church to be with people in ways that help them to experience your grace and mercy. To be able to sit in awkward situations and be vulnerable and Father, as a result, that we would be a church that is walking through valleys with people who need others in those moments. As we journey in this book, Lord, would you continue to be present with us? As we bring up things that are hard. We experience things as a community that are difficult, Father. We're thankful that we are given this book to help us. Through your Spirit, cause it to bring forth change in our lives and strengthening of our hearts and our following of you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>